The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
desperate for your rescue? Comfort for Jesus um, would have been coming down as the Jews would have anticipated as a warrior king. Um, maybe with some cool superpowers or something. Um, but he didn't come down like that. He came as a baby, lived a life like we did, tempted and tried, and uh, then he hung on a cross for us. He answered a father's loving call uh, to live a life of discomfort. And he did so um, as an example for us. And um, in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 25, it says, and this is the prediction of Jesus' death and resurrection. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chiefs, priests, and experts in the law and be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save himself, or, sorry, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. In taking up our cross, God and Jesus call us to living a life of uncomfortable adventure. These are days filled with heart-pounding decisions that cause us to be uncomfortable, that will bring him glory. Things like maybe praying for someone, maybe getting involved here at church, Maybe reckless worship in times when the band is playing, the worship team. Maybe falling to our knees in complete surrender when uh, we quite haven't taken that leap yet. Maybe striking up conversations of faith uh, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, at school. Maybe speaking the truth in love uh, when the opportunity arises. Because uh, that's always like happened to us. We know we've missed opportunities. So uh, we're coming to this time of communion. I want you to challenge yourself to meet him at the cross uh, and ask him where you can pick up yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, come to you in this time. Lord, we just uh, pray that uh, you just show us uh, where we've just missed the opportunity to just take up our cross, Lord. Uh, in the days where we've uh, missed those opportunities to just talk to someone, to to pray for someone, to have those conversations where we could have brought you glory, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we just... We just love you, and we want to do more, Lord. We want to bring you glory. And so just show us, Lord. We love you, and we praise you, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Be safe. Be responsible, right?
uh, be responsible when you're firing off fireworks. Okay, so now I'm going to go ahead and tell you a fireworks story. So it was the fourth of the, uh, it was the fourth of July. Uh, Caden was 12. Uh, this is not that 4th of July. This was last year in the Dominican Republic. So uh, Caden was 12. It was just me and him and my beautiful wife. We decided to go to the store. We grabbed a package of fireworks, came back home, and we were just going to shoot them off in the fr- front yard. We had a bucket of water. Uh, we had uh, the fireworks we were setting off just right where kind of the, the road meets the uh, sidewalk there. And everything was going great. There had been a lot of rain that season, and so uh, there were some aerials in there, but not to anything too crazy, just one of those cones, right? So the cones are kind of like low-key aerials. And so we lit it off, and I came and stepped back, and I, and, I, and I sat with my family, and the first one went off, and Caden was super pumped. I mean, it was super cool, right? And then all of a sudden, the firework tipped over. And I noticed where it tipped over, it was pointed right at my family. And so with ninja cat-like reflexes, I reacted. And instead of getting my wife and my son to safety, I charged the firework. Now I'm not really sure what I thought was going to happen when I did this, but it was the only thought I had. So I got to the firework. I couldn't pick it up. It was hot. So I kicked it. And when I kicked it, it's like this crazy spin the bottle thing, right? And it's still shooting off because it's not finished. And so one shoots off in the neighbor's yard again. Thankfully, rain, right? And, and it just goes out immediately. And then when went over the roof. And so my wife just gave me, you know, that look, guys, that your wife gives you sometimes. We're like, are you kidding me right now? Nobody was harmed. But I tell that story because I read a quote this week and it reminded me of fireworks. And it's this, firefighters can't always save the people in danger, but they risk everything to try. Now, our daughter is an EMT and and she serves with the fire department as a volunteer in Santa Rosa as well. Now, when Emma, as an EMT, goes out on a call, she doesn't get to choose which call she responds to based on the person. Nobody gets to do that. EMTs, firefighters, police, they don't get to choose who they try to save. Their only choice is how to approach the situation and how thankful we are for those men and women who run to the fight every single day who try to save others from danger. Welcome online on the radio. We're finishing up the sermon series uh, this week. And and Brandon Hayes, with his voiceover, everybody knew it was you anyway, Brandon. Uh, His voiceover says, is the story of Jesus the story of me? And we've seen ourselves in all these different characters. And we're going to take a trip to the Old Testament I tied it in loosely because Jesus makes mention of this guy. Um, but, but it's something that I've been wrestling with, and it's something that I believe uh, is powerful for us to talk about today. So are you known by a snapshot? Are you known by one single moment in time? Is it representative of who you are as an individual, of your, of your morals, of your integrity, or if it's, is it just something that happened in isolation and, and, and you're trying to move past it? Well, I, I feel like this prophet has kind of a bad rap, probably with good reason. But turns out 
I am just like him. So we're going to be in the book of Jonah. So Jonah, um, if you need help finding where that is, just find the book of Micah or the book of Nahum, and it's right around there, okay? They're all minor prophets. I'm sure immediately you guys know where to turn. That didn't help me at all either. So Jonah chapter 3 is where we start. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time? Okay, so what happened before? And so I'm going to give you the basic story of chapter 1 and 2. Now, when I, when I get with you in the, in the end of this month, we're going to go ahead and break down verse, chapters 1 and 2 as well. But for today, we're not going to. So cue the VeggieTales soundtrack. Here we go with chapter 1 and 2 of Jonah. So the Lord said, rise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah rose and he ran in the complete other direction. So he boarded a boat and he thought he could get away from God's presence. There was a storm. The crew freaked out and Jonah was asleep. So the captain found Jonah. The crew found out who Jonah was, most importantly, who his God was. And then they threw him overboard the ship. I know I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. This is for brevity, right? They throw him off of the ship. And I have to adjust my microphone. Dramatic pause. And Jonah is super thankful that the Lord saves him. Because he really thought he was going to die when he got thrown into the water. But a fish came and swallowed him. Three days and three nights he spent in the belly of this fish. And there he prayed and thanking God for his salvation. And so the fish vomited him out onto dry land in the general direction of Nineveh where he was supposed to go in the first place, right? But really you can't blame the guy because it's hard enough to walk into an enemy's home, much less deliver a message from the Lord, is it not? Like, think of those people that you don't really get along with, people that you feel like you are at odds with. Maybe there are even people in your family, and, and it's really hard to walk into their home and feel at peace, much less give them a message from the Lord. But this is what Jonah has been called to do. So we're going to read quite a lot of the book of Jonah today. And so if you'll turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, we're going to read the first five verses and see what is going on. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Journey, uh, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
So as we get started this morning, I want you to look for two stories of reconciliation that are happening here. Those two stories are this, the reconciliation of God and Jonah and the reconciliation of God and Israel. Both of these stories are of equal importance. Now, much has been made about um, Israel and Nineveh. Right, they're, they're mortal enemies. And so much has been made about the issue with Nineveh from that point. But I, I think the status in relation to God is more the hang-up for Jonah. Because, is, because Nineveh is wicked. Completely wicked. They're wicked to Israel. In fact, they're wicked to anybody that comes against them. They do what they want. And they do it with ferocity. And so God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. And he says this a second time. And the reason why this is important is this. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. God called him the second time. God is the God of second chances. He called him to the same exact mission that he called him to before. Even though Jonah ran the other way to start with. Even though Jonah failed. I I'm Jonah. Maybe you are too. Jonah wasn't simply called from something. He was called to something. He was called to this specific task. There were a lot of other prophets that could have done this. But he called him twice. Blew it the first time, called him again. Do you see that? Jonah doesn't know the message, but he's more obedient this time. I mean, I guess anything is more obedient than what he was the first time. And it says three days journey, three days journey to get through the entire town. He only goes one day and he preaches. He preaches eight words in English and five words in Hebrew. If I did that, we would all be sitting at El Rancho eating right now, right? But that is not to be this morning. Don't get your hopes up. The message is this, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is the message in English. Od arba'im yom Nineveh hafak. This is the message in Hebrew. Hafak. This word, overthrown, can mean two things. It can mean overturned, or it can mean turn around, as in repentance. Jonah's a smart guy. Jonah knows what this message implies. There's a chance that Nineveh may repent and God will forgive. So Jonah gives the two-edged message, but he's really hoping that overturned means annihilation. And maybe you need to hear this today too. God uses willing people, not perfect people, If you're looking for somebody up here that's perfect, you need to continue to look because he is not up here. I am Jonah. You are Jonah. God uses willing people. D.A. said it best. Get in the game. Where does the Lord want me to pick up my cross and serve? 
Here's the thing. Jonah's not even that willing. So let's continue to read, right? And, and see what happens when uh, Jonah preaches. What, what do the Ninevites do? Verse 6 is where we're starting. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So chapter 3 breaks down like this. Jonah preaches... The Ninevites repent, and Yahweh shows compassion. Now, Yahweh is the God of Israel, and here we see God showing compassion to somebody that's not Israel. And this is the goal, right? This is the goal for any prophet. We say what we're supposed to say, and the people hear all, all too often, they're worried about getting stuff thrown at them and getting thrown out of the town, right? Here's the crazy thing. Israel had never responded to a prophet like the Assyrians did. Did you get that? Never. I mean, a third of them heard the message and all of them believed. It moved up to the king. The king came off of his throne. He took off his kingly robe. He put on sackcloth and he sat in ashes. He also said, everybody else is going to do the same. In fact, go put some sackcloth on that cow right now. Repentance is repentance before Yahweh, regardless of race or culture. Now, repentance looks different in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the person of Jesus Christ, and our repentance includes coming before him and surrendering our hearts, transforming, right? Repentance means to turn around, to go in the other direction, to have our hearts transformed, our minds transformed, our behavior transformed. And so in the Old Testament, they did not have the person of Jesus Christ just yet. So this is what it looked like. Fasting. Fasting is God's mercy. This is asking for God's mercy, and so they fasted. Nothing. Water, food, nothing. And then there's sackcloth, and sackcloth is a symbol of repentance. This is a symbol of what we're going to do, of how our hearts are going to change. And sackcloth on animals? I mean, what is that about, right? I mean, cows can't repent. But I, but I think the king's just covering his bases, right? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. They don't really know who this God of Israel is. All they know is they're about to be destroyed. And he's trying to cover his bases, 
And he calls out to the people, every single last one of them. And he says, let each person repent of his evil way, their walk, their heart, what's in their heart. And he says, let everyone repent of the violence that is in their hands, their action. And their action comes from what's in their heart. Your action comes from what is in your heart. It is merely an overflow of your spirit. And God cares enough to overthrow our hearts. This Hebrew word happens again, hafak. And in two short verses, the Ninevites are overturned, but they're not destroyed. They're turned upside down. And it says, maybe God will relent. Nachem. It means he changed his mind. It means he showed compassion for his people because he had sorrow for them. And I think we forget this simple truth because it's hard for us to hear. I know it was hard for me to hear. God treats our enemies the same way he treats us. We say that again. God treats our enemies the same way he treats us. He shows them just the same unconditional love and grace and forgiveness and mercy as he does us. So what does Jonah do with this? It probably doesn't work out very well for him, but let's read anyway. Verses 1 through 4 is where we pick it up in chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? It says Jonah was exceedingly displeased. Another way we can read that is it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. What was happening before his very eyes, the way that God was showing grace to the Ninevites was evil. He couldn't get past what was going on. And even in obedience, Jonah's not completely obedient. I am Jonah. To Jonah, it is a disaster that the Ninevites averted disaster. And Jonah cries out to God and he says, I don't like your plan. Why should your love be shared with the evil Ninevites? Why is this even happening? He's saying, I told you this was happening. I told you this was going to happen. But he's still in Nineveh. The Bible hasn't said that he has left the place yet. Was he standing in the square? 
were the Ninevites surrounding them. Imagine this scene. Cattle crying out, not because they were trying to repent, because they were hungry. The king wouldn't allow them to have food or water either. Now imagine the Ninevites crying out to God, a God, by the way, they didn't even know. Please save us. Please tell us that you are good. Did the Ninevites hear him as he prayed? And Jonah comes to this idea. He says, dying is better than living if the enemy lives. Is that where you're at? Be better for me to just be done with this situation than to know that my enemy flourishes nearby. He says, and sometimes we say, we don't mean it. I want only the grace that comes from me. I, I want only the grace for my family, for those people that I love, for those people that are closest to me. I want that grace, but grace for my enemies, grace for those people that are out there doing terrible, unspeakable things, grace for, for people that don't deserve it. It's just that. They don't deserve it. Why do we show those people, grace, why are you doing that, Lord? But grace is not given to the deserving. Grace means unmerited favor. Unmerited means you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to get it. It was given to you freely. And the same grace that is given to you is given to your enemy. Why? Because God is gracious because he is merciful, because he is slow to anger, and because he is abounding in steadfast love. That's found seven times, that proclamation in the Old Testament. Jonah says it, Ezra the scribe and priest says it, King David says it, Moses says it. They all know the same thing about God, that he is a gracious God, and that he is abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah... Here's a question from the Lord, but he's done with the conversation. You see, he's said everything that he wants to say. So he leaves. He bails. I am Jonah. Things got a little difficult. I ran in the other direction. Somebody said something I didn't want to hear, so I turned and walked away. The Lord told me to do something. I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that just yet. Jonah is in a bad way. He is seething with rage. He's displeased, to say the very least, of what is happening to Nineveh. And God knows this about Jonah, and he asks a question to him. He asks a question to me. He asks a question to you. Do you do well to be angry? Does your anger add one more day to your life? Does your anger help the relationship of the person that you are angry against? Does your anger fuel bitterness or does it fill you with joy? Do you do well to be angry?
Does anything good come from the anger in your heart? You know, for 15 years, um, our springs were not filled with uh, baseball like they are now, right? I still am trying to figure that out. I don't get the whole drop the ball on the third strike and somebody can run thing. I don't know who made that up, Brandon. But for 15 years as a choir director, it was musical season. That's what the spring was. We did Into the Woods. We did Les Mis. We did uh, The Wizard of Oz. We did, uh, golly, wait, there were a lot more. What is that? Oliver, thank you. She's helping me. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I came up with that one on my own. And every year we had new drama students that had worked a lot on their acting, had really honed their craft. They knew how to act, but they hadn't really sung a ton. They hadn't done that in front of people. Maybe they had a natural talent, but uh, they didn't have much experience. And so we would put a microphone on them, and you could barely hear them. And so finally I would tell them, this microphone doesn't change your voice. It amplifies what it's given. Now, I know we don't like to say the word COVID. But there was something that happened during COVID that came more and more apparent to me. And I think COVID amplified my anger. I don't think COVID created it. I think it was always under the surface. It was always something I, I couldn't quite control. Disappointments. Bitterness, rage, why in the world do they get to say that? Why can't I control what's happening in front of me? Why do people wrong others? Why is this a broken world and away I go? I mean, it's not like a Hulk kind of anger. I mean, look at me. But the story of Jonah is the story of me. Because God asked me a question. He said, do you do well to be angry? Yeah, I am Jonah. I sit in judgment. I can be a little judgy, right? Can you? And God's saying, I don't don't want you to see the world through your eyes. I want you to see it through mine. And he says, I want you to put yourself in their shoes, however uncomfortable those shoes may be. Because here's the thing, everybody's got baggage, right? Everybody's got a backstory. And there are people that are dealing with things in their heart that you couldn't possibly know. And you may be super close, but I guarantee you, people don't tell you the entire story. And they retaliate. And you retaliate. And the loudest person wins. And then all of a sudden we wonder, how did we even get there? And when we take a minute and we put ourselves in their shoes and we empathize with what they're going through and we see them through the Lord's eyes, I believe our hearts change. So we're going to finish up and we're going to read verses 5 through 11, and see what happens to Jonah's heart. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. 
He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, I love this, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So Jonah goes out of the city, he builds himself a tent, he grabs some popcorn, he gets company, he waits for the show, right? And nothing happens. Jonah preaches, the Ninevites repent, and God forgives. And Jonah is happy about his deliverance from the sea. He's happy about the plant that provides him shade, but he is not happy about the Ninevites' deliverance. And I think it's this. Jonah wants God to be consistent. Prosper the righteous and punish the wicked. This is the God that Jonah knows. But what he knows about God is crumbling before his very eyes because God is so much more than that. And God says to Jonah, your concern is my concern. God's concern must also be our concern. He says, why are you so upset about the plant? Why why is this the thing that makes you want to die? Are you kidding me right now? That's ridiculous. It's a little melodramatic, isn't it? He's like, you didn't labor. You didn't make it grow. It came up in a day and it died in a night. And still, you're so worried about this. He said, should not I have pity? Should not I have compassion for the Ninevites? I created them too. I made them too. I love them too. And as we finish up, the hardest thing to do is to change someone's thinking. Because it goes the book of Jonah, it goes the book of Micah, and it goes the book of Nahum. And the prophet Nahum proclaims Nineveh's demise. And Nineveh goes back to wickedness and is completely destroyed and annihilated, wiped off the face of the earth in 612 B.C. But there's a question for us today too, right? Because I am Jonah. So the question is this. Who are the people I would have trouble wanting God to forgive? As the team comes back up, who are the, tr- who are the people I would have trouble wanting God to forgive? Let's think large-scale groups of people. You go ahead and insert in your head those type of people that you would have trouble wanting God to forgive. Now let's make it small scale. Are there people that you walk with on a daily basis? Or maybe people that you avoid on a daily basis? Or maybe people you haven't talked into years? Who are the people that you wish God would not forgive? 
And the final thought is this. There, there are so many people hurting in this world. Some of them are sitting right next to you. Some of them are a phone call away. Some of them don't know their right hand from their left. Some of them are trying to fill their hearts with something only God can do. Firefighters can't always save the people in danger, but they risk everything to try. Christians can't always save the people in danger, but we should risk everything to try. As we sing about our God, as you stand with me this morning, I am Jonah, and maybe you are too. Maybe you've been holding grudges. Maybe you've had bitterness for so long it's become a pet. Today is the day to let all of that go. Do you do well to be angry? The answer is, not really. Let it go. Move forward. God's concern must also be our concern. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.